Section 6 of Grotesques and Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Grotesques and Fantasies by Israel Zangwell. Mated by a Waiter, Chapter 2 A Difficult Opening. The proudest moment of Jones's life was probably when he assisted me to alight from the carriage I had ordered at the station. I wore a light duster, a straw hat, and galoshes, among other things, together with the air of having come over in the same steamboat as the conqueror. I may as well mention here that I am tall, almost as tall as the Woolwich infant, who frequently stands six foot two on my pet corn. Towers, by the way, is a short squat man whose delusion that he is handsome can be read plainly upon his face. My features, like my habits, are regular. By complexion I belong to the fair sex, but there is a masculine vigor about my physique and my language which redeems me from effemininess. I do not mention my tawny mustache, because that is not an exclusively male trait in these days of woman's rights. "'Good morning, my lord,' said Jones, his obeisance so low and his voice so loud that I had to give the driver half a crown. I nodded almost imperceptibly, knowing that the surest way to impress Jones with my breeding was to display no trace of it. I strolled languidly into the hall, deferentially followed by the infant and Merton Towers, leaving Jones distracted between the desire to handle my luggage and to show me my room. "'Excuse me, my lord,' said Jones, flustered. "'Jane, run for the master!' "'Excuse me, my lord,' said the infant. "'I'll run up and wash for lunch. See you in a moment. Come along, Merton. It's so beastly high up. When are you going to get a lift, Jones?' "'In a moment, in a moment,' replied Jones automatically. He seemed half-dazed. The quiet, gentlemanly young proprietor, who appeared to have been disturbed in his studies, for he held a volume of Dickens in his hand, conducted me to a gloriously furnished bedroom on the first floor, facing the sea. "'It's the best we can do for your lordship,' he said apologetically. "'But with the reviews so near—' I waved my hand impatiently, wishing he could have done worse for me. In town I had been too busy to realize the situation in detail, but now it began to dawn upon me that it was going to be an expensive joke. Besides, I was separated from my friends, who were corridors away and flights higher— and convivial meetings at midnight would mean disagreeable stockinged wanderings for somebody. A mere shadow of a trifle, no doubt, but little things like that worry more than they look. I was afraid to ask the price of this swell bedroom, and I began to comprehend the meaning of noblesse oblige. The sitting-room adjoins, said the hotel-keeper, suddenly opening a door and ushering me into a magnificent chamber with a lofty ceiling and a dado. The furniture was plush-covered and suggestive of footmen. I presume you will not be taking your meals in public? Hmm, hmm, I muttered, tucking up my mustache. Then, struck by a bright idea, I said, What do Mr. Woolwich and Mr. Towers do? They joined the table d'hôte, your lordship, said the proprietor. They didn't require a sitting-room, they said, as they should be almost entirely in the open air. Oh, well, I could hardly leave my friends, I said reflectively. I suppose I shall have to join them at the table d'hôte. I dare say they would like to have your lordship with them, said the proprietor with a faint, flattering smile. I smiled internally at my cunning in getting out of the sitting-room. 
It's an awful bore, I yawned. But I'm afraid they'd be annoyed if I ate up here alone, so... You'll invite them up here for all meals. Yes, my lord, said Jones at my elbow. He had sidled up with his cat-like crawl. Through the open door of communication, I saw he had deposited my boxes in the gorgeous bedroom. There was a moment of tense silence, in which I struggled desperately for a response. The brazen shudder of a gong vibrated through the house. "'Is that lunch?' I asked in relief, making a step towards the door. "'Yes, my lord,' said Jones. "'But not your lordship's lunch. "'It will be laid here immediately, my lord. "'I will go at once and convey your invitation to your lordship's friends.' He hastened from the room, leaving me dumbfounded. I did not enjoy Jones as much as I had anticipated. In a moment, a pretty parlour-maid arrived to lay the cloth. I became conscious that I was hungry and thirsty and travel-stained, and I determined to let things slide until after lunch, when I could easily set them right. The sunshine was flooding the room, and the sea was a dance of diamonds. The sight of the prandial preparation softened me. I retired to my beautiful bedroom and plunged my face into a basin of water. There was a knock at the door. Come in, I spluttered. Your hot water, my lord. It was Jones. I've got into enough already, I thought. Don't want it, I growled peremptorily. I always wash in cold. I would have my way in small things, I resolved, if I could not have it in great. Uh, certainly, your lordship. This is only for shaving. My cheeks grew hot beneath the fingers washing them. I remembered that I had overslept myself that morning and neglected shaving, lest I should miss my train. There were but a few microscopic hairs, yet I felt at once I had not the face to meet Jones at lunch. "'Thank you,' I said savagely. When I had wiped my eyes, I found he was still in the room, bent in meek adoration. "'What in the devil do you want now?' I thundered. His eyes lit up with rapture. It was as though I had made an oath I was a nobleman, and removed his last doubt. Palmery Greenhoe, or Hyde Seek, my lord? I cursed silently. I am of an easy-going disposition, and in my most penurious student days, had to spend twenty-five percent more on my modest lunch whenever the waiter said, Stout or bitter, sir. But the present alternative was far more terrible. I was on the point of saying I was a teetotaler, when I remembered that that would shut off my nocturnal whiskey and water, and condemn me to goody-goody beverages at meals. I remembered, too, that Jones intended the champagne as much for my friends as myself. And that lords are proverbially disassociated from temperance. Oh, it was horrible that this oleogenous snob should rob a poor man of his beer. Perhaps I could escape with claret. In my agitation, I commenced lathering my chin, and returned no answer at all. The voice of Jones came at last, charged with deeper respect, but inevitable as the knell of doom. Did you say Pomeregrino, my lord? No, I yelled defiantly. Thank you, my lord. Lord Porchester was very partial to our hide-seek when he was here. We have an excellent year. I wish you had twelve months, I thought furiously. Then, when the door closed upon him, I ground my razor savagely and muttered, All right, I'll take it out of you and damn dam. I heard the bustle of my friends arriving to lunch, and I shaved myself hastily. Then, slipping on my coat and dabbing a bit of sticking plaster on my chin, I threw open the door violently, for I was not going to let those two fellows off an exhibition of slang. 
they should have thought out the plot more fully, have hired me a moderate bedroom in advance, and not have let me in for the luxuries of Lucullus. It was a cowardly desertion, their leaving me at the critical moment, and they should learn what I thought of it. You ruffians! I began, but the words died on my lips. Jones was waiting at table. It ought to have been a delicious lunch. Broiled chickens and apple tart, the cool breeze coming through the open window, the sea and the champagne sparkling. But I, who was hungriest, enjoyed it least. Jones, who ate nothing, enjoyed it most. The infant and Merton Towers simply overflowed with high spirits, keeping up a running fire of aristocratic allusions, which galled me beyond endurance. "'By the way, how is the Dowager Duchess?' wound up the infant. "'D the Dowager Duchess!' I roared, losing the remains of my temper. Jones grew radiant, and the infant winked irritating approval of my natural touches. Such contempt for duchesses could only be bred of familiarity. At last I could contain myself no longer. I must either explode or have a fit. I sent Jones for cigarettes. Directly the door closed, those two men turned upon me. "'I say, old fellow,' exclaimed Towers reproachfully, "'isn't this just going it a little too far?' "'What in creation made you take these howling apartments?' asked the infant. "'Review time, too! "'They've been saving up these rooms, "'foreseeing there would be some tip-top swells "'crowded out of the fashionable hotels. "'Why, there's a cosy little crib next to ours "'I made sure you'd have.' "'Well, I call this cool,' I gasped. "'So it is,' said the infant. "'I admit that.' It's the coolest room in the house. It'll be real jolly up here. And, if you can stand the racket, I'm sure I'm not the chap to grumble. You must have been doing beastly well, old man, Towers put in enviously, to feed us like critics on chicken and champagne. I suppose they'll be opening new cemeteries down your way presently. Look here, my fine fellows, I said ferociously. Don't you forget that there's plenty of room still in Ride Churchyard. Hello, Ted, cried the infant, looking up with ingenuous surprise. I thought you came down here on a holiday. Stash that, I said. It's you who's got me into this hole, and you know it. Hole, cried Towers, looking round the room in amaze. He calls this a hole? Hang it all, my boy. Are you a millionaire? I call this good enough for a lord. Yes, but as I'm neither, I said grimly, I should like you to understand that I'm not going to pay for this bread. But, gasped the infant, invite a man to lunch and expect him to square the bill? I never invited you, I said indignantly. Who then, said Towers sternly. Jones, I answered. Yes, my lord. Sorry to have kept your lordship waiting. But I think you will find these cigarettes to your liking. I haven't been at this box since Lord Porchester was here, and it got mislaid. "'Take them away!' I roared. "'They're Egyptians!' "'Yes, my lord,' said Jones, in delight. He glided proudly from the room. "'Jones invited us?' pursued the infant. "'What rot! As if Jones would dare do anything you hadn't told him. "'We are his slaves. But you? Why, he hangs on your words!' "'D him! I should like to see him hanging on something higher!' I cried. "'Yes, your language is low,' admitted the infant. But seriously, what's all the row about? I thought this champagne lunch was a bit of realism, just to start off with. I explained briefly how Jones had coiled himself round me, even as they had described. The dado echoed their ribald laughter. Oh, well, said the infant, it's only right you should give a lunch the day you come into a peerage. 
it's really too much to expect us to pay scott when there was a beautiful lunch of cold beef and pickles waiting for us in the dining-room and included in our terms per week we aren't going to pay for two lunches i don't mind the lunch i said smiling my sense of humor returning now that i had poured forth my grievance i'll gladly give you chaps a lunch any day and i'm pleased you enjoyed it so much but for the rest i'm going to run this joke by syndicate or not at all i only came down with a tanner a pound a day said towers that ought to be enough why there's a pound gone bang over this lunch already i retorted and then there's the apartments put in the infant roguishly i wonder what they'll tot up to jones alone knows i groaned he came in a veritable devil while his name was on my lips with a new box of cigarettes clear away i said briefly he cleared away and we breathed freely we leaned back in the plush covered easy chairs sending rings of fragrant smoke towards the blue horizon and i felt more able to face the situation calmly i dare say we can lend you five quid between us said towers what's the good of a loan to an honest man i asked can't we work the joke without such a lot of capital the first thing is to get out of these rooms and into that cosy little crib near you i can say i yearn for your society but have you the courage to look jones in the face and tell him that queried towers dubiously i hesitated i felt instinctively that jones would be dreadfully shocked if i changed my palatial apartments for a cheap bedroom that it would be better if someone else broke the news oh the infant will explain i said lightly nothing of the sort said the infant it won't wash now besides they'd make you shell out in any case they'd pretend they turned lots of applicants away this morning because the rooms were let no keep the bedroom and we'll go shares in the sitting-room it's jollier to have a proper private room good said i then it only remains to escape from these special meals and the champagne you leave that to me said the infant i'll tell jones that you hunger for our company at meals but that we can't consent to come up here because you with that reckless prodigality which is wearing the dowager duchess to a shadow insist on paying for everything consumed on your premises so that you must even come to the general table jones will be glad enough to trot you round and i'll tell him added towers that with that determined dipsomania which is making the money-lenders daily friendlier to your little brother you swill champagne till you fly at waiters throats like a mad dog and that it is our sacred duty to diet you on table beer or tintara wouldn't it be simpler to tell him the truth i asked feebly what gasped the infant chuck up the sponge don't spoil the loveliest holiday i ever had old man just think how you will go up in his estimation when we tell him you are a spendthrift and a drunkard for pity's sake don't throw a gloom over jones's life very well i said relenting only the x's must be cut down the motto must be extravaganza without extravagance or farces economically conducted right you are they said and then we smoked on in hilicion voluptuousness now and then passing the matches or a droll remark about jones in the middle of one of the latter there was a knock at the door and jones entered the carriage will be round in five minutes my lord he announced the carriage i faltered growing pale yes my lord i took the liberty of thinking your lordship wouldn't waste such a fine afternoon indoors no i'm going out at once i said resolutely but i shan't drive 
Very well, my lord. I will countermand the carriage and order a horse. I presume your lordship would like a spirited one? Jay's up the street has a beautiful bay steed. Thank you. I don't care for riding, er, other people's horses. No, of course not, my lord. I'll see that the May Blossom is reserved for your lordship's use this afternoon. Your lordship will have time for a glorious sail before dinner. He hastened from the room. You'd better have the carriage, said the infant dryly. It's cheaper than the yacht. You'll have to have it once, and you may as well get it over. After one trial you can say it's too springless, and the cushions are too crustaceous for your delicate anatomy. I'll see him at Jericho first, I cried, and wrenched at the bell-pull with angry determination. Yes, my lord. He stood bent and insinuative before me. I won't have the yacht. Very well, my lord, then I won't countermand the carriage. He turned to go. Jones! I shrieked. He looked back at me. His eyes, full of a trusting reverence, met mine. My resolution began oozing out at every pore. Is, is, are, are you going with the carriage? I stammered for want of something to say. No, my lord, he answered wistfully. That settled it. I let him depart without another word. It was certainly a pleasant drive through the delightful scenery of the isle, and I determined, since I had to pay the piper, to enjoy the dance. The infant and towers were hilarious to the point of vulgarity. I let myself go with the will of Jones. When we got back, we realized with a start that it was half-past six. The dressing gong was sounding. Jones met me in the passage. Dinner at seven, my lord, in your room. I made frantic motions to the infant. Tell him, I breathed. It's too late now, he whispered back. Tomorrow. I telegraphed desperately to Towers. He shook his thick head helplessly. Have you invited my friends to dinner? I asked Jones, bitingly. No, my lord, he said simply. I thought your lordship had seen enough of them today. There was a suggestion of reproach in the apology. Jones was more careful of my dignity than I was. When I got to my room, I found, to my horror, my dress clothes laid out on the bed. I had brought them on the off chance of going to a local dance. Jones had opened my portmanteau. For a moment a cold chill traversed my spine, as I thought he must have seen the monogram on my linen and discovered the imposture. Then I remembered with joy that it was an E, which is the more formal initial of Ted, and would do for Everett. In my relief, I felt I must submit to the nuisance of dressing, an honor of Jones. While changing my trousers, a sudden curiosity took me. I peeped through the keyhole of my sitting-room, and saw Jones just arriving with another bottle of Heidsick. I moaned. I knew I should have to drink it, to keep up the fiction Towers was going to palm off on Jones tomorrow. I felt like bolting on the spot. But I was in my jaggers. Presently, Jones sidled mysteriously towards my door, and knelt down before it. It flashed upon me he wanted the keyhole I was occupying. I jumped up in alarm, and dressed with the decorum of a god, with a worshipper's eye on him. I swallowed what Jones gave me, fuming. With the roast, a blessed thought came to soothe me. Thenceforth I chuckled continuously. I refused the parfait au frais, and the savory in my eagerness for the end of the meal. Revenge was sufficient sweets. Hmm. Ah, oh, hmm, I murmured, caressing my mustache. Bring me a diadem. I knew his little vial must be exhausted long since. I intended to give him a bottle. Did your lordship say dem to dem? 
Damn to damn, I roared, while my heart beat voluptuous music. You don't mean to say you don't keep it. Oh, no, my lord. We laid in a big stock of it, but Lord Porchester was that fond of it, used to drink it like your lordship does champagne. I doubt if I could lay my hand on a bottle. Oh, what an awful boah, I yawned. I suppose I'll have to get a bottle of my own out of that little black box under my bed. I couldn't possibly go without it after dinner. Hang it all, the keys are my other trousers. Oh, don't trouble, my lord, said Jones anxiously. I'll run and see if I can find any. I waited, gloating. Jones returned gleefully. I've found plenty, my lord, he said, sitting down a brimming liqueur glass. He lingered about, clearing the table. His eye was upon me. I drank the dam to dam. Then Jones departed, and I went about kicking the furniture and striding about in my desolate grandeur like Napoleon at St. Helena. Presently the infant in towers came rushing in, choking with laughter. Your arrival has fired afresh all Jones's aristocratic ambitions, gurgled towers. <laughs> ho, 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 pet to the infant, he coaxes out of all of our remaining dam to dam. I grinned a sickly response. Great Scott, the infant bellowed. What's this howling wilderness of shirt front? It's cooler, I explained. End of Mated by a Waiter, Chapter 2 Recording by Todd